On today's show, we'll cover the first half of the outfield pool and also discuss the designated hitter slash utility only position. Plus, what to set for your KDS this year, Keeper League choices, and a Noah Syndergaard story and more. Brian Bubba Entrican of the Bubba and the Bloom podcast joins me next on Beat the Shift. And welcome to another episode of the Beat the Shift podcast. I am your host, Ariel Cohen. And not here tonight is Ruvain Guy. Ruvain is on vacation uh, today with his family. Uh, we will surely miss him. But we do have a fantastic co-host for tonight. You know him from the Bubba and the Bloom podcast and from others. Well, you had a 50-50 chance of who, who it's going to be after I uh, said that one. Uh, it's uh, Bubba Brian Entrican. How are you? I'm doing great, Ariel. Thanks for having me tonight. This is uh, I'm really looking forward to it. It's, it's a pleasure to uh, come on Beat the Shift. It's one of the, the big-time podcasts out there, so I appreciate it. Oh, you are quite welcome, and happy ATC Day to you. ATC projections released today. Woo! Yep, to you as well. That is quite the... Uh, Quite the day. We always look forward to it. You know, everyone gets excited in like uh, December or, or November when one when Steamer comes out. We're like, okay, that means we're like two months away <laughs> from ATC. Yeah. So, so here we are today. It's a good, it's a great day. Absolutely. I mean, I I can't draft without projections. I I feel naked without 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 them. You know. Yep. No, and that's kind of the way it's going these days. Is uh, year after year, more and more projections and modelings and uh, different systems to use on your computer where you can incorporate projections and. It's quite the tool that uh, ATC brings to the table. Absolutely. So we're going to uh, talk today about outfielders, and we'll cover the DH utility-only spot today. Uh, there's a lot of outfielders, so we're going to do part one of it and DH. Uh, but of, as always, let's break into some strategy. And I do want to talk because there are a lot of outfielders in the first round, and possibly might influence your decision on this. Uh, talking about in snake drafts, KDS, Kentucky derby style drafting that's where well it's a snake draft but the question is what slot do you get now you could have the computer randomize it and just say you're number two you're number seven you're number nine and that's fine but i mean bubba if you're not if you prefer picking at number four and i prefer picking at number three if, if i get four and you get three we should switch right so kds does that kds actually allows you to prefer certain spots and what happens is we spin a wheel, and let's say it comes up me, and if it comes up me, my preference gets chosen first, and then whoever is up next, their preference chosen, so you can sort of choose more uh, what to do. Question is, in general, not so about this year specifically, do you have a general preference on where, what to draft from, and what your general KDF looks like? In general, I end up not caring too much. Um it's a year-by-year year thing for me, and we'll get into this year. But in general, no. Like even last year, I did what the, uh, some people like to call straight butter. Just left it 1 through 12, 1 through 15, whatever your, your format was, just because I liked the different ways to draft in the player pool. I thought certain positions, uh, you could do different things, basically, uh, in, in the KDS. So in general, I just let it go, and um, I trust what I know of the player pool to kind of navigate to whatever minefields will be in front of me. 
Okay, well, I totally disagree, or at least I have a totally different <laughs> philosophy, I should say. Well, I have a different philosophy this season, I'll say that much, but yes. we can get into that later. <laughs> Agree. So this year is a little bit different uh, for many reasons, uh, but in general, I like drafting from the middle. Uh, I prefer the beginning to the end, but the middle is key. Uh, it's better for what I do, which is value drafting, and you can snag more values. I mean, if you're picking, if you're picking at an end, right, and you see, oh, this guy is a value, well, you might have to jump him all the way up because, well, I don't know if he's going to survive 30 picks if it goes around to me. But if you're in the middle, the person doesn't have to survive 30 picks. You only have to survive 15 picks. Or if you're picking him in in the middle versus the end, you're picking him seven picks later, you're getting that little pocket of value. And you're doing that every single part of the draft. It's not just about the first two rounds. It's about the entire draft. And being in the middle is also an information uh, advantage. If you're at the end, it comes to you, and then you have to make two decisions only having one pass of information. If you're in the middle, you make one decision, pass back, you make you get more information, you make another decision. So I like doing that as well. And the, the other point also is that uh, in terms of snake drafts, you're going to miss some runs if you're at an end. There's a closer run. You're not going to get any part of that if you're at uh, if you're at the end, but in the middle you can somehow put something in there. Yeah, and I, I agree with everything you said, and that's that's a definite benefit to being in the middle. And that's again we'll talk about where I'm much more inclined to do what you're talking about now this season, just because um, the the pockets of value and chasing the runs essentially changes so much at, at the ends. Sometimes I love being at the end just because it allows me to kind of go get my guys, but again, you kind of lose the value like you're saying. So it's kind of a, a catch-22 in theory, where if you're in the middle, you're kind of not so much the mercy of the draft, but you can benefit from the draft. And uh, I definitely agree with that part of it. I just didn't find it as big of a difference in recent years, I guess. Okay, so this year, what is special about this year, and what is your plan for this this year? I want a top four to five pick, probably as, as much as five. And then if I don't get that, I basically want to be like, if we're talking 12-team league, I'll, I'll go like 9, 8, 7, 6, and then 10, 11, 12 type thing. Because um, the goes, I want to be like in that middle, but not the direct middle right away. Long story. But I want the first five is what it comes down to because you can map out the first few rounds based on early ADP and kind of a rough idea of what's going to be out there. And that front five to me, or that feels like it has a gigantic advantage when you hit like rounds three and four potentially to to round out that early part of your draft. So you say first four. What? what who are the four that you are really uh, very high on? That you must have one of those four if you can. Acuna, Witt, uh, Rodriguez, and then for me, it's Kyle Tucker. I know that's very controversial. That's why I usually go five, and you can go to one of the other guys. But I love Kyle Tucker a lot. So I agree. Um, yeah, I agree that one, he's four over over Carroll. Yes, I agreed. So me, it's more five is more the debate to you like Carroll, Mookie, Betts, or Fernando Tatis. Is what, and, and to each their own on that, I can understand all the arguments to that. But I have my clear top four. Okay. Um, I mean, uh, Ronald Acuna, the thing this year is, number one, Ronald Acuna, according to most projections, project at like $53. Like I, I've never really seen that before where somebody projects for that large. That's and the, Yeah, and the next highest isn't like 40 The next highest is like $35. So you've got like an $18 gap between one and two. Um, you're kind of, un, un, 
I don't see any reason. You're kind of crazy almost. Or you'd have to have a very good reason why you wouldn't want the number one pick first. Now, he's just 100%. such a value, right? Yeah, no, it's one of those that it's like the running joke. And at least in years past, there's always like an argument like, you know, Jose Ramirez, Trey Turner, like whatever you want to do. This year is just so far and away. If like your only argument is, well, what if he gets hurt? Well, you could say about anybody in the draft. So that's just kind of a silly quote. But that's the only thing that I've heard that makes, if you want to make sense out of it, there's no reason not to take Ronald Acuna Jr. You just take that. And even if he regresses, which he probably will because it's just human nature, you have to be that amazing. There will be some regression. But his regression, like you said, based on projections, is still so far and away above the rest of the field that it's it's clearly the number one. It's just, yeah, it's clearly the number one pick. I'll just leave it at that. Yeah. I haven't decided yet whether I think that the 2-3-4 is so worth to have that I want to give up my middle philosophy. I haven't decided yet that yet, but I'm close to it. I'm thinking maybe I go three, top three, or, you know. But number one is, is for sure. Right now, if I had to do it today, number one, then Seven, eight, six, nine, two, three, four, and then the back of the draft, something like that. Yeah, yeah I just like, and, and I guess what I'm saying, like the two through four, or whatever. What I like the most is what you can get in rounds two and three on that turn, compared to the back end on their rounds like two and three. So that 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 start you can have, I like a lot. Yeah. Now, in talking about snake drafts in general, um, do you plan ahead in terms of what kind of position or what kind of stats you take? Um, you know, if, if if you see, for example, oh, there's a couple of really good corner infields in rounds 10 through 12, do you say, hmm, maybe I get a corner infield then, so that means i got to take an outfield earlier? Or, you know what, I think I can get power in rounds 13 through 15, so maybe I'll take steals in rounds 5 to 7. Like, Do you do that kind of planning and map out what you should be looking for in terms of stats or position at each round? Um, by the time I'm in my heavy drafts in March, I've done enough podcasting and research that I have a good idea of pockets, kind of like what you're talking about, between statistics and positions. And that'll let me definitely have an idea of do I need to be more aggressive early in the draft on a certain stat or position. So in a roundabout way, yes, to what you're saying. Um, can I be flexible? Yes, because you have to be, especially like I know you're an auction guru. Don't have to be as flexible there. If you get your guys, you get your guys. But in a snake, you're at the mercy of A, your KDS, and then the rest of the room you're in. So um, I, I definitely have different plans of attack, but I do focus on certain things at certain levels of the draft, like you're asking, based on the pockets I've done the research on. Yeah, and how often do you have it where, well, you were planning to take X here, but there's just a great value. You can't pass that up. I know I already have a, a, a second baseman, but this is such a big value. I got to take the next second baseman. How often do you find yourself in that kind of position? Is that like every draft? Yeah, you'll have at least one or two of those moments. I feel like every draft, maybe more, depending on how uh, risky or crazy some other drafters are in your draft. Um, that'll happen, especially if you're in certain, like, say, NFBC leagues. Uh, online championships, 12-teamers, you'll see a lot of goofiness going in there. And all of a sudden, you'll see just some guy on the board. You're like, how is he still sitting here? And you have to look back and go, okay, well, hey, I got a corner infield. If I already have one first base, he can go there. Or I have a util spot, so on and so forth. And that's where the flexibility comes into play because in the end, it's like um, the, the something I've always wanted to have someone figure out. I'm just not computer savvy to do it. But I would love just to block out names and just put stats because in the end, all we want are the stats. It's all we care about. And obviously, you have to fill them by position. I get all that. But in the end, if this surprise player just is still on the board at your turn and his stats are just far and away better than 
say it's a first baseman far and away better than that middle infielder you're looking at, well, now it's time to adjust. And that's kind of a, a rule I'm trying to incorporate more and more in recent years. And it, it's, I've seen other people do it very effectively, and uh, I think it is a way to do things. You can't be so steadfast on passing up on that value. Yep, and the blind resume tests, those are always uh, fantastic. Um, we're going to talk outfielders today on the show, so let's just open up to you very generally. Um, let's talk about the player pool, the outfield player pool. What are your general observations of what we can look for in 2024? If you're playing in 15 teams, it's not as deep as you'd like it to be. Uh, in 12s, it's okay, still not as deep as I would like it to be. At least when I'm talking like four to five category guys, obviously, you're playing with a lot of three category guys before you'd like to. So it leads to a, a very top-heavy position that it feels more like um, starting pitching in previous seasons where you're going to want to leave the first 10 rounds or so with two or three outfielders most likely. I think there's a big difference this year in terms of five outfielder to three outfielder leagues. Mm-hmm. I know Yahoo, uh, people who play on Yahoo do three outfielder leagues, very different than the five. Definitely. It's incredibly uh, thin. Now, I, I use the term thin to talk about – uh, um, early in the draft. I use the term narrow to talk about late in the draft. It's narrow, definitely later on. It's a little thin in the middle, but um, at the very top, it's very, very thick. I mean, the first round is chock full of outfielders. And because of that fact, you really do need to get somebody in the first two, three rounds at the latest. Otherwise, you're going to be really behind in the outfielder. Um, the drop-off is immense from about outfielder 8 to outfielder 12. In a 15-team league, it's about a $10 drop going from number 8 to number 12. That's huge. There's basically very few $20 outfielders this year. You Usually you have plenty of them. You can get an outfielder at any price, any price point. So if you don't get one very early, you can get one in the middle, high middle, low middle. It's not the case there. There are pockets of numbers where you cannot shop. You, you best be shopping for pitchers or first baseman or something else there. Uh, so you should be aware of that. The $20 are void of it. Um, and down low goes pretty, pretty quickly. The extra players to fill in your till are almost always not going to be from the outfielder spot. There's almost a little bit of a dollar bump that you get in 15-team leagues. You don't get that in 12 or 10-team leagues, the extra dollar bump there. And in three outfielder leagues, uh, it's a little bit easier, although because uh, it is shallower, you want to spend more on that top value because the replacement level is so much higher. Do you see a difference also between the three and the five outfielder leagues? Oh, 100%. Uh, and it, but you just made a very good point there, which I've even echoed in like two catcher versus one catchers and all those kind of things. That three catcher or three outfield versus five outfield league, um, yes, you can tell yourself you can wait longer because there's more in the player pool, which is not wrong. But the difference, like Ariel was saying, from the top to the middle to the bottom is drastic. And even waiting and saying getting three middle-tiered outfielders, that puts you behind the eight ball to those guys that got three elite. You don't have to get three elite, all of them, but at least one, maybe two, will go a long way, even a three-outfielder format, to um, to help you along the way there. So I'm 100% on board with you there. Because, like you said, it's it's really weird with the outfield this year. Is it felt like it was kind of more like a universal drop off in recent past, kind of just simple. But you mentioned like the the severe drops at certain levels. And that's why I said it was like the starting pitching back in <clears throat> recent years, whereas like like a handful of elites, and then there's that glob 
And there's like another glob where they're all similar, but they're like massive drop-offs in certain area of production for your fantasy team. And that's the outfielder right now, which is crazy because there are good outfielders, but they're all having like little spots that they miss on basically. Yeah, it's it's very much supply and demand in terms of pricing. And when you have only one or two outfielders in the $20 range, those outfielders tend to be very expensive because they're they're in demand. There's they're obviously in demand and there's a very small supply there. You want to shop in your fantasy leagues in places where there is a ton of supply. If there is a middle infielders and there's a ton of them this year that are between like 16 and $20. That's where to shop because then you're guaranteed to get somebody undervalued because nobody needs seven middle infielders. But when there's only two outfielders and everybody needs five of them and there's nothing in the $20 range, that is not a place you want to shop. So you need to plan elsewhere and you need to to really make a map of where the uh, where every where the hotspots are, where the the pockets of players are all centrally located. Uh, question. Are there any specific stats that you want or you need to get from the outfield position in general? Well, I guess it's, you know, the cliche answer can be, I want a five-category five stud, but we want that everywhere. Uh, in the outfield, one thing we've, we've been doing a lot of stuff on Bubba and the Bloom, looking, you know, reviewing positions and statistical kind of gains and, and losses at positions. Uh, the outfield definitely is a position where you have to get some of your steals. Speed is important in the outfield. Um, outside of the outfield, it's almost essentially middle infield is where you're getting steals with occasional guys elsewhere. Obviously, we know about you know Freddie Freeman's and and some other catchers and whatnot. But for the most part, you have to get your steals from the middle infield or the outfield, and that's another reason why I think some of these outfielders get bumped up so much that are so elite that are giving you 2020 seasons, maybe 30, 30, 30, 20 seasons, stuff like that. Um, it, it boosts their value a ton because steals, even though we got the steals boost this past year it still has such a uh, strong impact out of the outfield. So that'd be the, probably the stat I really want to get out of there. Obviously, the later in the draft, you got to you know take what you can get and build your team elsewhere. But early on, I'm really wanting to get steals from my outfield. Yeah, you, the outfield and, and middle infield also are where the steals are. You don't really find steals at catcher. You don't really find steals at corner. In fact, well, you know, Ruby's not here, but should we do a trivia question? Oh, what Let's the heck? It. Let's cue the music. All right, filling in for you, Ruvain, here. Here is the trivia question of the week. ATC projections just dropped, and outside of outfield or middle infield, there are only four players that are projected for 15 or more stolen bases. Who are they? Jose Ramirez. That's number one, Jose Ramirez. Um, Freddie Freeman. Not projected for 15 or more, no. Wow, Okay. Um, interesting. JT Real Muto? Nope. Uh, wow. Freeman just comes under 15. Like, it rounds up to 15, but he just misses okay. it. Well, then I'm butchering this. Machado shouldn't. Um, Gunnar Henderson? If he counts as third base, I don't know if he does. Uh, he does, but I don't, I don't have him on well. the list. Man, okay, I'm butchering it. I guess I guess I, I, I should have missed enough by now. Gunnar Henderson, 12 stolen base projection. No. Okay. Um, yeah, man, I'm blanking right now. I'll give you a hint. Mr. Electric on the Reds. Oh, Ellie De La Cruz. Ellie De La Cruz. I got Day two more. Base. That's right. Noel V. Marte. 
There you go, another Reds. Another Reds. And uh, Willie Castro, eligible at third. Oh, that, that's that's a trivia question right there. Uh, the guy that stole like over 40 bases last year, I think. It was crazy. Yeah. So, you know, we see here that it's really, really, really tight on the outside of – um, outside of those key positions, I mean, I you know, only four. I only gave you a really a couple of positions. Catcher, you don't really have that, you know. So just first and yeah. third, you're not going to get that many. But it shows you that you know you do have to be conscious that you can't just get an outfielder who hits homers. You can't just get a bunch of them because otherwise you won't find them anywhere. Yeah, that's it's pretty pretty telling. That's good stuff. Yeah. Um. So that 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 is what to do with uh, with the stats to be conscious of. Um, do you in general, or I, I should say specific for this year, should you do an outfielder stars and scrubs approach or middle middle, or it doesn't matter? Meaning, you know, we already talked about, we want somebody early on for sure. Do we want to try to get people in the middle? Do we want to say, spread them out the rest of the way? Do you want to avoid the bottom? What's the plan for the rest of the outfield in five outfielder leagues? Five outfielder leagues. I'm trying to... Most likely have at least two, if not three, out of the first ten rounds. So that tells you more top-heavy approach there. And I'd like to have my outfielders. I'd, I'd rather not bottom feed in the outfield. Let's put it that way. Let's keep it simple there. I'd like to my late-round picks, say rounds 21 through 30, let's go with some pitching help. Let's go with another catcher. Let's go with maybe some corner or middle infield options. Let's try to avoid outfield if we can. Yeah, I agree. I, I want to stay away from as many $1 or $2 outfielders as I can. Obviously, it depends on the draft. Anything can go your way. But if I have to plan it, I'm going to stay away. There's just more viable middle infielders this year and, and even some corner infielders at that late $1, $2, late round, 23rd, 20th, 18th round level uh, there. Uh, it just gets super, super thin there. It's very narrow at the bottom for outfielders. So you want to get that top. You do want to get a couple in the middle and something late but not super late is my plan for this year. Um, what about the waiver wire in general? Do you foresee the waiver the waiver wire being viable for outfield? Like uh, another reason to you might want to stock up on an extra outfielder or two in your bench because there's nothing available on the waiver wire, or maybe there is and you don't have to do that. What what's your plan for this year for the waiver? If you get a viable backup to have on your bench, I'm great with that. But it, we'll see how that pans out on draft day. On the waiver wire, though, I'm, I'm all about it. I think that this is a position because it's such a heavy platoon position. Like a lot of teams feel like at least one of their outfield spots is a platoon spot. So then you can start playing matchups throughout the week. And you can get them for cheap usually, especially if you're paying attention. But look for a week where there's you know, five or six versus a, a righty. Or maybe it's one of those crazy weeks where they face four lefties or something. You can start running into some cheap outfielders to help kind of uh, – uh, stream throughout the season, and that's a, a nice way to do uh, add stats for cheap, I think. You know, you mentioned platoon. Um, very often you have guys playing, and they might end up on your fantasy team in deeper leagues that are platoon players, or maybe they're the strong side platoon, but they only play against righties, or they're lefty, and so on, so on and so forth. Do you avoid drafting platoon players, or do you not care? You just see what the numbers are and draft Ideally, you don't have them, but numbers are numbers and numbers talk. That's the game we play. Um, preferably, you want the strong side of the platoon, obviously, because you're going to get that playing time because in the end, playing time's king. But um, in the late rounds, you can't avoid it. Like I said, it's the way of the world these days. So many people are platooning 
Uh, every team's using like going through team by team previews right now on, on one of my on bench with Bubba that it seems like it, almost every roster has at least two spots in their starting nine that's getting platooned right now. So you're almost in a deep format. You're it's inevitable. You're gonna have to. So I'm I'm gonna say yes. I will roster some, but I'd rather not. Yeah, I, I pretty much agree. And I, I got to imagine it does not pay to roster both members of a platoon unless you're in, no. I'm going to guess, like a league. very deep mono league, right? Yeah, or a daily league. If you're in a daily league right. like a Yahoo or an ESPN, then I could see the reason that even that's difficult because that's a roster spot you could be doing a lot with elsewhere probably. So, yeah, it's, it's, uh, it's very difficult to roster both. In daily leagues, though, platoon players in general are worth more. Because, oh, 100%. Right, 100%. because right, they, they play, they get their better per, yep. per, uh, per uh, game, right, per, per at-bat. Yep. Uh, so they are actually better. You just have to make sure that you have spots to cover. But, yes, go ahead and roster them if you're in a daily league. Weekly league, not as much. Definitely, 100%. Yeah, and I, I should have said I usually play weekly leagues. I think you play mainly weekly leagues. I could be wrong. But, uh, yeah, daily, there are a lot of that out there. And if that's the case, it does open the player pool up quite a bit for you. Let's talk a little bit about designated hitter, utility player. Now, um, they often, often come with a small discount, and that's because people don't want to, quote, clog up their utility spot <laughs> with the utility player because then you can't put anybody in there, blah, 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 blah. Um, you know, Nelson Cruz, I never had a problem drafting there. He was always a discount. He always performed. But this year, is it worth it to pick a utility player at where they're going? Because it is a disadvantage. I mean, talk a little bit about what is the disadvantage of clogging up your spot for you. Yeah, I, it's tough. I don't really see it as a disadvantage if it's, like you said, numbers talk. Um, I don't see it being that big. And again, in a world these days where you have Shohei Otani as a, as a utility only, are you really going to complain about that locking up your team or – you see J.D. Martinez doing what he does. So I'm kind of on the opposite end of that. I see where it used to be a bigger problem. And, and like in a like say a draft and hold format, 50 rounds, now that is a bit of a problem because it's tough to churn and burn roster spots if he's if the player is util only. You want more flexibility there. But in a season-long format, when you're playing weekly or daily or whatever, I really don't see an issue with it uh, anymore. Do I focus on getting one for sure? No. Does it make a difference when – I'm on the table between player A and player B and player A is a util player, maybe, but it's not a for sure, like, I'm not going to draft that player anymore. Yeah, no, I think it matters on the format. In a best ball format, I think it's a disadvantage because yes, then, that's fair. yeah, if you have guys who jump up, oh, wait a minute, they can't play because you're already playing the util player, right? Yep, uh, yep. Yeah, so it does depend on the format. Um, for me, in auctions, I, I don't like clogging it up in general because then you see a bargain come up and, oh, oh Yeah, crap. that limits you tremendously, yeah. Yeah, the, the name of the game is to get the highest bargain. So th what you need to do in an auction, I'll tell you what to do in an auction, and I, obviously there'll be a, a corollary to a snake draft. You need to say, okay, what's the bargain I'm likely to get later on in a certain draft if I leave the util spot open? If I get that same bargain or better earlier in the draft, sure. So, I mean, if Shohei Otani is available for an $8 bargain, there's no way you turn it down. If Shohei Otani is only available at a dollar bargain, well, 
I'm going to be able to get at the end of the draft in an auction, I'll pay a dollar and I'll get a guy who's worth six for a $5 bargain. I don't want to clog up with Otani only getting a one because I know that spot will be a $5 bargain later on. So you need to make the calculation as to what what kind of profit you can make on that roster spot. And if you can acquire that with the DH, with the bargain that they afford you, sure. If not, pass. That That's my advice for how to decide. That's fair. That's very fair. And, yeah, the auction part's a great point because you have to fill out the whole roster before you can even get to the bench. So you definitely uh, hamstring yourself a bit there in that scenario. Yeah. All right. Well, we're going to talk now about ATC undervalued players. And the name of the game here on the Beat the Shift podcast, we don't talk about every single player. We talk about the ones that ATC initially describes as undervalued. We do a deep dive and see if we agree with the projections, if we like them or not, and so on and so forth. Right? If the ATC is showing that a player is an uh, um, an overpay, I mean, I'm sure the player could be good, maybe, but there's a better chance that we're going to do better if we look at the uh, at the potential bargains. And you know, my time is limited. Your time might be limited. You might want to focus on a few rather than a lot. Of course, there are other podcasts out there that do talk about everyone, but let's just dive into the ATC undervalued players. First up, Jordan Alvarez. Now, usually we don't pick players this high, and he is not going for an exact dollar bargain, according to ATC, but it's close. It's basically par value, whereas other players are going for a much bigger premium. Jordan Alvarez, I've projected for about 500 at-bats, almost 40 homers, 108 RBI, 295 average, rock solid there. Problem, though, of course, with him is, is he going to be healthy? How much is he going to play? What's your take on Jordan Alvarez? Well, you, you, hit, you hit the most important part there is will he stay healthy and play? Um, I think like per plate appearance, per game, whatever you want to per with Jordan Alvarez, one of the best power hitters you'll find in baseball. There's like no denying that. And he hits for average. So I was worried at first. You said he was undervalued. I looked at the projection. I'm like, oh, that's kind of fair for 140. So you said he was like basically on par. I'm like, yeah, okay, I guess that checks out. Because the thing with Jordan, like you said, if – you know, you haven't projected for 140 games. Uh, if, if he somehow gets, say, he gets to 150 because he starts DH it or something, he's got the power to add a, like, three or four more home runs on a good week. Like, there, there's a lot that Jordan can do, and I think the projection is pretty fair based on the projection, uh, playing time projection, and just hope he stays healthy. Yeah, I mean, he is so productive when he's there that it might make up. And the thing about drafting him in the first round or near first round is that you need him to return a very high percentage of his value that you drafted. He will do that. For whenever he plays, he will return value. Just the question is, is he going to be hurt for 100 at-bats, 300 at-bats? You know, and he, will he return a $20 season or a $30 season? If he returns the $30 season like he did in 2022, you're golden and you're going to get almost 40 homers. Otherwise, you're going to get 25, 30 homers. So it's a little bit of a gamble for playing time. It's not a fantastic discount. You're actually playing just par value. So... It's it's a toss-up. It's a toss-up. I think it really depends on what you do with the rest of your team. But, again, the skill set is really there. He's got over an 80% contact rate, so the batting average is going to be high. Power is enormous. Run production total. You're going to get no steals or one steal at the most if somebody slips. You know, uh, But uh, that's the story with Jordan Alvarez. Michael Harris. Michael Harris is coming out also going maybe even a buck or two at a discount. This is a guy who can potentially be 
a first-rounder. You might be getting a little bit of a discount this year, and he's going in the third round because he only had 500 at-bats last year. He had a knee injury. The year before, that, he only had 400 at-bats. So because he wasn't able to put this together and play, you know, 575, something like a real full season, and he didn't go 25-25, right? He only went almost 20-20. You might be getting an, a round discount to roster him. And this is a guy with upside, really stable skills, plays on a fantastic team, so the run production will be here. I think this is a decent, decent pick for upside and to hold stats at the price he's going. What do you think about Michael Harris? I 100% agree. I think one of the reasons that either projections or ADPs don't like Harris as much as they should, and again, he's going early and projections pretty favorable, is the fact that they point to the bottom of the batting order for Atlanta. But the Atlanta Braves, let's be honest, is kind of a different situation. The way that team scores runs, I think no matter where you hit in that order, you're going to be a very good fantasy asset. And, uh, and if somehow, like you mentioned, Harris puts together a full season – like, say you have him at 551 at-bats and 148 games. What if he runs into 155 games and gets up there? This is a guy that could, could fight for a 25-25 season. Um, this this is a big, big year ahead for him. He's got um, some numbers like we, we were talking about with um, other positions going in the first round, or at least second round, that I'm with you. If he, he finds his stride, and he's also, if you want to really get optimistic on a Michael Harris it's as simple as and you never root for anybody to get hurt, but if like Ozzie Albies were to get injured, Michael Harris now hits the top of that batting order instead of the bottom, and those plate appearances and the at-bats skyrocket. So there are so many reasons, paths to fantasy success for Michael Harris that I think he's a, a really strong value, and I've been buying into him more and more because right now like a 15-team league in the NFPC, he's an early to mid-third-round pick that I think – You'd be you would not be shocked if he returns middle to top in second round value, and in a perfect world, like you said, he could be a first round talent. So I, I'm I'm all in on Michael Harris. Yeah, there's not that many players that are projected to hit 2020 and have a 290 average and mid 80s runs, mid 80s RBIs. I mean, his Z scores are pretty much all over a half. I'm sorry, all over three quarters. Uh, a positive three quarters. So he's three quarters of a standard deviation above the average fantasy player all across the board. He's well spread out. I mean, if he has a bad year in stolen bases, he can make it up in home runs. If he has a bad batting average year, maybe he'll swing for the fences. Maybe he'll score less runs. He'll score more RBIs. Right? He he can do it all. Uh, I think it's a very well rounded profile and uh, very good base of stats all over the place. All right, I'll let you go first in this one. How about the Rockies? Nolan Jones currently going. Roughly par value, but par value in the 20s, like I said, there's not that many $20 outfielders, so have to take note. Yeah, I'm, I'm a fan of Nolan Jones. I loved what we saw from him last year. Um, really got things going. Went 20-20 in 106 games and hit for average, 297. I expect the average to drop a bit because, let's be realistic, the uh, BABIP was through the roof at 401, which, again, Coors Field benefits the BABIP, so maybe he has something there. But the projections, I think, gave him fair like drop-offs. Uh, you have him at 272 average. I guess totally fair, 24 and 20. There might be more of that. I think he is more of a – like the power is more of a mid-20s power. I think the steals is where we could get even a bigger value. Potentially, I think he can run and run a lot. He's only going to be 26 years old, uh, playing every day for the Rockies. So I think there's a, a a big upside for Nolan Jones. The hard part for me on draft day right now is there's other outfielders or um, like pitchers going right around him that I seem to be more inclined to be taking, but I 
Love Nolan Jones. I think the projections show a good return. I think there's even a higher return possible for him. You know, profile, though, is pretty close to how Michael Harris makes up. 100%. I mean, yeah. He's got 100%. those RBI totals. He's got the power, speed, the average. Not as good as Harris, but still 270-plus. I mean, last year he hit almost 300. Is this uh, I can't get Harris, so I'll settle for Jones? Is that not the worst thing? I mean, is he has got the lowest intra-SD. So the which is my uh, term for the dimension. He's pretty much a five category dimensional player. He of of players who are worth ten dollars or more. The only player who has a lower one is Gliber Torres. So he's like super five dimensional. Nice. Yeah. No. That, that's fair. And I I, I I think you're gonna get quality five category production from Jones. And like you said, if you miss on Harris, which is very possible, because I wouldn't be surprised if his ADP goes up. You can get Jones at around pick 60, which is uh, very, very nice, in all things considered, for that five-category production. Yeah, and I know you can't extrapolate, but you know he only he had 20-20 he had and only 367 at-bats last year. Yep. I mean, it could be 30-30. Yeah, 30. I, yeah I'm, I agree. I, I'm, I'm very, very happy with him. I, I, I rostered him in a lot of places last year. I had a lot, I had a lot of draft and holds last year. Um, I just I'm trying to temper my expectations because biases are very strong when you draft. So early on, I had to sit back and tell myself, don't draft all the Nolan Jones you can draft this year because everyone else is uh, saying there's got to be regression. But I, I'm with you. I pointed 106 games, 2020. What's to stop him from doing more? Brian Reynolds is next. Brian Reynolds is perpetually on this list. He is a legit $3 bargain. Very low projections volatility. He is well spread. We're talking 25-10 projection, roughly 268 average projected, almost 90 runs, 80 RBIs. I mean, this is a guy who uh, always returns value. Last three years of dollar values, 18, 16, 25. I'm projecting to be a $19 player, and he's going for about 16 bucks. What are your thoughts on Brian Reynolds? Steady as they come. Like you kind of know what you're going to get from Brian Reynolds. You know, 260-something average. It's going to hit you 25-ish home runs. Uh, he added some speed last year with the new speed, um, you know, the new stolen base rules. So if that sticks, even better. The the runs and RBIs will be okay. They'll be limited being in Pittsburgh, but still productive. So this is just a guy that goes out there and play like 145 games in three straight years, at least 145, the power. This is, like I said, as steady as they come. I'm a big fan of Brian Reynolds. I'm one of those guys that I'll take chances in a draft here and there, but if I can just draft – a guy that I know I'm going to get a consistent stat line from for the most part, barring something crazy. I'm a huge fan of that when I draft and Brian Reynolds is one of those guys. And the other thing I'll mention, he started out the season very, very hot, especially in the power department. And then just kind of deteriorated after a little brief uh, IL stint. I think there's something there because he has been working on adjusting his swing path over the last year or so. So maybe another boost in production from Brian Reynolds. He did have a little bit of a back issue last year, so that yep. might actually explain some of the power zap. But um, very good year last year, and it's a year where he cut his strikeout rate by a couple percent. And, uh, well, I hope his walk rate went down too. So, you know, let's see what happens with, with him. He's always a uh, consistent returning value. And, hey, listen, the Pirates are going for it. They they uh, just signed a Rodas <laughs> Chapman. So and they're rumored, they're rumored to be in on Noah Syndergaard, so watch out. <laughs> Noah Syndergaard, my, my wife will be a Pirates fan. My wife's favorite player on the Mets was uh, was Noah Syndergaard. Oh, I, I had to. Days. I remember the day that I told her that uh, that uh, he was signing with the Angels. I had to sit her down. I said, "Hey, listen, <laughs> sit sit down. I got something to tell you." And 
No, no. This, this is the business nose. side of this, darling. I'm sorry. <laughs> um, he was oh, not man. great elsewhere. I mean, we we went to a couple games uh, of Noah Syndergaard. There was one electric game that I'll never forget where he came in in the bullpen. He almost never came in the bullpen. Uh, he he came in the bullpen. I know in, in the 2015 uh, LDS against the um, against the Dodgers, but there was one game. I can't remember. It was against the White Sox, whoever it was. Maybe it was the Phillies. The, the day before, he got thrown out after, like, two pitches for, like, throwing behind Chase Utley, right? And that was after, you know, a whole controversy with, with Utley and how he killed uh, Ruben Tejada's leg. Um, so he threw out – so he basically threw, like, one pitch maybe. Um, now, they didn't, you know, they didn't pitch him the next day like Granky used to do, but they did bring him in the bullpen, like, two days later, uh, and he pitched an inning. He was throwing, like, 102. That was his highest – um, highest average uh, fastball velocity like ever in an outing, and he was electric. We were in the upper deck, and you could hear the the ball hit the leather. It was so wow. much fun, and and that just uh, etched. If, if she didn't love uh, Syndergaard before <laughs> then, that was just absolutely incredible. Yeah, the Thor days were amazing. I know that for sure. Yeah, absolutely. All right, two guys who are uh, values. We'll do them together because they're on the same team. Kyle Schwarber, Nick Castellanos. They're now we're getting into two dollar bargain territory, which you know somewhere around the nineteen dollar level, seventh round is already becoming significant. A little bit different profiles, although not terribly dissimilar. Schwarber is a forty plus homer guy. He had forty seven homers last year. He had forty six homers the year before. You could pretty much pencil in forty homers if healthy, although. It's almost getting to the Joey Gallo, you know, sub-200 days. What are we going to do with him? And Nick Castellanos, um, well, he's starting to strike out a little bit more. He is stealing a little bit. He had a terrible 2022. He bounced back. Where does he go from that? He had 626 at-bats, so you know the playing time's there. Both are good good players. I prefer Castellanos to uh, to Schwarber. I just don't like that, in, that the strikeout rate of Schwarber is approaching – 30%. It's approaching a terrible uh, batting average, and he's a, a lot more spread out categorically. Schwarber is almost a one-trick pony. Uh, he's three categories because he does, um, you know, knocking those runs and RBIs, but uh, he'll, he'll hurt you, literally hurt you everywhere else. What's your take on the two, and which do you prefer? Uh, I agree. I take Casty over Schwarber, but I'll get my Schwarber thoughts here. It's tough. The three-category thing where you have to draft a guy like Kyle Schwarber really hurts. It goes back to our early conversation on strategy of you know, trying to get five-category guys and the globs and everything, and you really have to build your team around batting average assets, and I hate doing that. And um, the steals, like you can deal with a couple guys that don't run a lot. I prefer not to. I like to have a lot more balance on my roster. Now, the power is elite. The run production is great. Their average guys are great. So that's all good with Schwarber. That shouldn't change in Philadelphia's lineup. That's great. If he somehow runs into a good batting average, that's gravy, but um, I, I just can't trust it. On the flip side, I love Castellanos. I'm a big fan. You know, he had this down 2022, like you mentioned, but that was also the first year in Philadelphia, not the easiest place to get acclimated to if you struggle. Ask Trey Turner, who at least figured it out for a couple weeks. But uh, Casty came back in a big way this past year, played 157 games, 29 homers, 11 steals. Loved seeing that. Average back up to 272. Yeah, strikeouts weren't ideal, but we saw that from Castellanos back in 2020 uh, with the Reds in that shortened season. Um, so it's not the end of the world for me. I just like seeing a, a guy that, you know, the barrel rate jumped back to 10.3% last year. The hard hit rate jumped back up. 2022 was just a drastically horrible season 
for Castiano standards, he was back to it in 2023, and I'll uh, I'll jump on board there. And I love his price tag on on draft day right now. So big Castellanos fan. Yeah. So I mean, Schwarber does have a lot of good redeeming qualities too. I mean, he hit a 17.5 percent walk rate, which is enormous. Yeah. He bats leadoff, so the run total is going to be enormous. He's going to have 100. I mean, ATC is showing 100 runs scored. Uh, if he's if he's healthy, I I would take the over on that one. Um, but the problem is that you know, in terms of uniqueness of profile, he he is not unique. He is so much easier to make up those kind of stats later on with lesser players and taking the batting average hit. When you have Castellanos, who's throwing you a you know seven to ten steals, who's throwing you a two sixty two seventy average, which is actually a plus. You know, you don't have to make up that category. And he's throwing you enough homers. He had 29 homers last year. So you're not having to make up anything. Kyle Schwarber, you're going to be distributing yourself differently. I mean, I guess if you've selected Estery Ruiz, sure, Schwarber makes a lot of sense, although your batting average is still a drag. It's just that um, it's harder to fit him elsewhere. That's the argument I always made with Joey Gallo, that in the yeah. right team context, he makes sense. Somebody drafting, it'll fit him. But it's really hard to plan to take him because it's a hard jigsaw puzzle to fit, if that makes sense. Yeah, no, I hundred percent makes sense. That's why I was like kind of not interested in Schwarber, which stinks because you mentioned the power production, the run production should be elite. Uh, I, I'm just there. I, I can't do it. I was never a Gallo guy. It reminds me of the old days of Adam Dunn for those who played fantasy baseball long enough. It just really puts your team at a disadvantage if uh, other guys don't produce like they need to. You know, Adam Dunn, though, is a little bit different. Adam Dunn had the uh, the 200 batting average. Actually, he never even had 200. It was either like 215, but he had some years where he had 260, 250, 260, if I remember correctly. Fair. Like he would either yeah. go 220, 260, then 210, 250. He'd either crush you or get the job done. <laughs> yeah, but, but, but he'd have a couple of those years. Like Schwarber, I don't think he's going to hit over 230 anymore. No, I think this this is like who he is, I think. He's, he's so selective at the plate that he's – Kind of, I guess it's it's either walks or homers is what you're going to get. Yeah, give me Adam Dunn over Schwarber any day. But uh, nice. I'd like to see him have a home run derby. That'd be fun too. Oh yeah, Castellanos over Schwarber for this year. George Springer, uh, I'll let you roll with this one. Uh, are you concerned first of all about his age 34 because he's been pretty solid with 613 at bats last year? What's your take on Springer heading into the following year? Yeah, I'm still kind of worried there. The age last year he played 154 games. Uh, that is the most he's played since 2016. Uh, he played 133 the year before, which is not bad. First time he's ever stolen 20 bases in his career. There's just a lot of things leaning to it. It was a great season. I'm still a little nervous about getting a full season out of Springer once again, so I'm not going to buy that approach, uh, of the the increase in draft day price. Great season. The power, I believe in, it is a 20-plus home run guy. Uh, I'm on board with that. It's just like even the projections, you have them for 136 games. I, I agree with that a lot more. Uh, so the numbers are good. I just don't think they're where he's getting drafted is the same equivalence to me. Yeah, so Springer is not an ideal player for uh, like a three-outfielder league. But in a five-outfielder league, uh, a 15-team league, right, where you have a little bit more deeper, you're probably still at the point where you need to get some production. Like I would love to have upside. There's not going to be upside over this. Like this is the max he's going to do, right? He's not yep. getting – he's not going to have more than 600 at-bats again and 20 steals that – you know, he's not going to be 20-20 again. But he is going to return a big base of production there. I mean, he, there's going to be a drop-off regression, but 
It's not gonna. He's not gonna go into oblivion here, and he still has skills spread out among categories. So if you're still looking for production at this level, it's not a bad pick. He's probably better for auctions than he is for drafts because you might want to take somebody else and to do to get a different type of player at at uh, where he's going the ninth round in draft. But in, in an auction, there's a case that all right, you know, let's get a couple players two bucks off. Springer will fill enough stats. It's a numbers game. I can see myself taking him as I did last year for the same reason in auctions yeah no that makes sense and that's the beauty of different formats different sizes of the leagues and everything and um you're right springer is a good floor player even if he reduces his, his bad average or his uh, plate appearances and whatnot so that does make a 15 team league much more approaching and like you said in an auction you might get him at a discount because there might be multiple people feeling the same way whereas uh in adp wise he's, he's just a little too steep for me Similar story to Oscar Hernandez, age 31, now with the Dodgers. The Dodgers signed everybody. They even signed me, by the way. I don't know if you know this. You don't have to remind me about the Dodgers, Ariel. (laughs) They're they're paying me a dollar this year, and then they're paying me $3 billion 25,000 years from now. That's the the payment that I'm getting from the Dodgers. Uh, Just kidding. Uh, I'm getting more. Um, But, uh, no, (laughs) Uh, I mean, he also, 625 at-bats, 26 homers last year. Uh, This is a guy who's been very strong. He was a $30 player for a couple years in a row. Now he's a mid-teams dollar player. He's going the 10th round, so just under Springer. I think it's almost like a hot spot between him and Springer. Like, take between the two, take whoever's cheaper, especially in an auction. One of them will be cheaper. It's not a bad base of production. The one other thing I worry about, though, with Teoscar, which is I'm a little bit nervous, is – Will the Dodgers decide not to play him as much? Now, there's no DH possibilities unless Otani is hurt, hurt, because you got Shohei. You're not sitting Shohei for Teoscar, even though he's good, too. Um, they're not going to play him all that many games in the outfield. They want to save him for the postseason, right? It's all about the postseason for the Dodgers. They're making the postseason. So are they going to intentionally sit him? By the way, it's the same worry about Shohei Otani. Are they going to yep. sit Shohei Otani? Is he going to lose at bats? I actually do worry about both. Um, what's your take on Teoscar? Any interest in him? I, I am, and a lot of it's to do, like you mentioned, the Springer thing. Well, Teoscar's going 25 picks later than George Springer, and there's so many similarities between the two players. Uh, statistically, uh, health, you name it, very similar players. So I, I'm glad you mentioned it because I was going to go right into that, that it makes me like Teoscar a lot more where he's getting drafted. Uh, I like his power to be more power than Springer, maybe a few uh, few less steals, but I think we're talking similar batting average, similar counting stats. Uh, Dodgers on a much better ball club, even if the Dodgers hold him back like you have in 135 games. I think he gets more than that, but that's fair. That's a good floor uh, on T. Oscar. I think he still gets to 150 because there aren't a ton of platoon options for him in the outfield. Outman and Taylor own platoon together. Um, they're going to have T. Oscar in the middle of that Atlanta order as much as possible, which will be a fantasy gold mine. Uh, so I, I'm a big fan of T. Oscar in Toronto. He's also younger than Springer by a couple of years. So, yeah, I, I think this is a really good um, pri- price to get T. Oscar this season. The next guy is 29, who fits into this hot spot a little bit. Anthony Santander, $14 player going for about 11, 10th round here. Um, is a guy who, you know, about 30 homer type guy, maybe uh, three, four steals. Uh, he's going to bat about 250, though, so he's not as good as some of the others we mentioned. But the RBI totals, the run totals should be good. Baltimore is a good team. Um, the homers... 
will be there despite it being not a great park anymore to hit. Just he's, he's a good, solid player to have. Playing time is not in question with him. Um, you know, I don't love the guy. Um, I, I think that he is a fit. Again, more for auctions than drafts. All these guys, to me, is really, I want something else at this spot for a snake draft. But in an auction, whoever's cheaper. And, you know, the, the thing about finding the hot spots, uh, Brian, is that when you have three guys who have similar profile, similar makeup, similar cost, and they're both 3 $4 bargains, the odds of you getting one of those at about that kind of bargain is very high, right? Because maybe somebody loves T. Oscar and they'll push him up. Maybe somebody loves Springer, they'll push him up. But they're not, they can't push all four of them up because, remember, these are ADPs. These are AAVs. Yeah. They're averages. We know that some of them actually will be even cheaper than this. So if you're going to float around in an auction, there's a good chance you're going to get somebody there. So I'm, I, 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 I like this hot spot. I just don't particularly like this player, and I'm not – I'm not in love with anybody, but uh, for the right price, which is where they're going, it might be okay to get some bank of stats. Thoughts on Santander? Yeah, it's it's a great point that they're all very similar players. Santander, the youngest of them all. Uh, and as out of the three of them, Santander has actually shown he can play. He's played 152 games or more in back-to-back seasons, which is very good and very, very similar stat lines uh, throughout it. Switch hitting in Camden Yards, so he's getting some of the good and some of the bad there, but taking him to the road. So that, but that also leaves in the lineup to play nearly every day. Uh, similarity between these guys, not a ton of steals. Cause like, again, I think Springer steals come back to reality. Um, he's got the most steals out of the three, but Santander should be a very good player. The counting stats should be solid in a, an improving young uh, Orioles offense, a team that just won hundred games this past year. That should be another, you know, 85 ish win, maybe 90 win team in the AL East, which will put up a ton of runs. So I think he's very good. The youngest of the group, there might you know, be 29. We'd talk about, the guys uh, late 20s and 27, 28 uh, finding their groove. This could be his time to find his groove in Baltimore. So I think he's a guy that gets slept on a little more in, in this range just because of the name value of other players. But I think he's very worth the pick if you're okay in steals, which, again, leads to the auction discussion you were saying. You might be able to get him at a, a discount for sure compared to these other two we talked about. How about Eloy Jimenez? We're talking util only Eloy Jimenez. Not a great team, White Sox. Are you a fan? And I'd love to be a fan. It's just it goes back to almost our very first thing with Jordan is staying on the field, and at least Jordan stays on longer. But Eli will not steal at all. I guarantee that zero steals his entire career. So that's got that going for you. But he can hit for average, and we know he has power if he can just stay healthy. Uh, he did play 120 games last year, but not really healthy. Healthy util only player, as you mentioned. So it kind of keeps me off of him. But he is at a great price tag this year compared to years past. So at least I'm looking at him on draft day, but I'm not I, I'm not in love with him right now because I just can't I guess trust what he's doing. Um, but yeah, he's I, I I wish he would become the player we think he can be. Let's put it that way. You know, he's the type of guy that I might throw out in an auction early. Let someone else pay for him. Let somebody else pay for him. Mike. So he's going yeah. right now at an auction equivalent of about four and a half dollars. And he's worth, according to my projections, ten and a half. So it's actually a sizable bargain. We know that because of the DH slot. I hate to have people get six dollar bargains in an auction. Like, what? Yeah. Why would I want somebody else to do that? So I'll throw him out. Eloy Jimenez, a dollar. I'll gladly take him at a dollar, right, or two. Yep, yep, um, and maybe he goes higher than that four or five dollar. Maybe somebody pushes him to six, maybe seven. Okay, three dollar discount. For a DH only player, 
okay, let somebody else take that. It's a it's a game theory, uh, it's a gameplay type of uh, strategy to how to deal with Jimenez. But in terms of player, yeah, I, I don't trust he's going to stay healthy. I don't really yep. see upside. I mean, he, yeah, he, he'll hit a ton of homers. The average is not terrible. Get you zero steals. I mean, Dan Vogelbach has a better chance of stealing than him. <laughs> um, that's not good. So yeah, I, I'm not really in love. And this is not. It's a very replicable uh, a player uh, on on the waiver wire or somewhere else in the draft. Like the, the profile is not interesting at all. I like interesting, and he yep. is not. Yeah, he's boring. It's more of a, a hope and what we thought he once was, and we've never seen it type thing. Yeah, so I'm I'm down on him, and again, that's how you I would handle him in an auction, especially he clogs up somebody else's DH. Like once once you say a dollar, somebody's DH is clogged up. For a yep. dollar, I'll let it be mine. See, that's why it's a good strategy for you. Hopefully, they don't get a big value, but you also lock up that position and have some fun there. That's a good point. Exactly. All right, we're gonna do some mailbag today. A couple of good questions. Jeff asks, "Where do you think Mookie will hit?" In the order, is this a joke, Jeff? It's, um, it's leadoff, or, or he's hurt. <laughs> yes, he played every game in the leadoff spot except for one. That's where he came and he pinched hit. Uh, yeah, okay. That that's that's an easy question, Jeff. Uh, maybe it was a joke. If not, well, he's gonna bat first. Uh, Dougie asks, when will you talk about Otani and the two, three other DH only guys? Well, it's this show. Again, we don't go. usually talk about players that are undervalued, but since there's only a couple of them, we can talk about them. Let's let's just talk uh, Otani. Uh, we mentioned risk of playing time. I, I don't know what the effect is of having Tommy John surgery. Any thoughts on him? Are you scared? I, I'm a little worried. Well, what I'm kind of looking at is we saw what Bryce Harper did last year. It took a little bit to get going, but once he got going, he was fine. Uh, we've seen a couple other players go through it. Then again, Trevor Story didn't go so well. Um, I don't have any Otani shares through my drafts. I, I'm not, I guess, I don't know if word's the right word, but I'm skeptical <laughs> about what's going to take place. So um, I think he's going to be fine eventually. I still know if it's going to be early enough to get return value in the first round that you're paying for him. I mean, what's the problem with just saying, I'll skip Otani and draft Jose Ramirez? Like, Oh, yeah. That's what I've been doing. I've been doing all kinds of different versions of that in my draft. Yeah. I, have, I have none of them, so I'm with you. I mean, there's a point where if he falls, okay, I'll go for it. But for as a first-round play, I don't think so. I'll yep. take somebody else. I'm with you. I'm with you. What about Marcelo Zuna? Any thoughts on him? He's coming in a little more interesting now because he played a ton last year, played almost every day in DH. The power was awesome, and it's real. Hits for a decent average, nothing crazy, but no, won't kill you. Counting stats will be fine. Like we said about Harris and that lineup, that whole team just reeks of 80-plus runs in RBIs and maybe even more. Azuna can get to 100 RBIs probably pretty easily. So I, I'm more inclined to take an Azuna at his price tag in the draft. Yeah, I mean, I think he's okay to take. I don't see an issue with him. Um, you know, again, you got, I, got, I got to have a little bit more of a discount for a util only, but uh, if he goes to the right spot, I, I have no issue. Uh, two others I see other than Eloy, J.D. Martinez, I, I think it really depends where he lands before you really 100%. talk about him, right? Yeah, I, I want to know where he lands. I'm interested in him. His price tag is very affordable right now. Could be because he doesn't have a home at the moment, but uh, if he gets in the right place, that is a steal of a deal at the moment. I mean, for those drafting right now, I mean, you always have players who didn't sign yet, and you can get him at a discount. But is he worth the plunge to to do that? I, I would think... 
I think I yes. He, he's he's got to have yeah. he's got to have a decent market to for his services. Yeah, right? I, I've I've been a fan of his project. I'll give you an idea over the last uh, like since January first in DCs, he has an ADP of two thirty six. Like that's very very intriguing to me. Yeah, agree. Uh, and <laughs> Byron Buxton. Oh boy. Yeah, yeah. Um, this one's it's like man, talk about the Eloy thing all over again. Just can you ever do what we want you to do, Buxton? The bright side is you don't have to pay for him this year. ADP of 284. So that's a first in a long time. I just don't think I can stomach it. I'm just going to avoid the, the herd. They're already talking about playing him in center field, which usually leads to another <laughs> stat or two. Like, if he was just going to DH full-time, I'd be a little more interested with the fact they already want him to play center field. I'm like, nope, I'm done. We know where this train goes, and uh, I wish him the best. I mean, it's like fantasy baseball comedy. Hi, everyone. Yeah. Byron Buxton is going to play center field this year every exactly. single day. Exactly. I mean, that's just – it's a joke, right? No. Yeah, it's got to uh, be. Right? Someone's got a real good sense of humor in Minnesota. That's all I know. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I have no interest. Uh, again, the, the profile is just not interesting. I mean, he's, just a, he's yeah. a, just a power guy right now for me. Yeah, he doesn't run anymore. doesn't run anymore. Um, I have little interest and little faith he's going to get through the year. Um, okay, good. Uh, here's another question here, um, and I think it's a really good question to talk about. Uh, keeper league. This guy says one player keeper league. I, I don't know what size league he is. I don't know, let's assume it's a 12 team for now. Would you rather keep Corbin Carroll and give up your fourth round pick, or Ellie Dela Cruz and lose your 15th round pick? That's a, that's an interesting question. It's very I'll, interesting. I'll let you go first on your take. Oh man, um, I'm gonna take. Oh, I'm gonna. I'm gonna think. I'm gonna take Corbin Carroll, and I'll get a lot of feedback or like backlash on this. I'll take Carroll and lose the fourth pick. Uh, it's a combination of with Ellie. The, the swing and miss still concerns me, even though there were improvements. This we know the skill set's good, but how good is it? We saw Coral Corbin Carroll do it. I think there's more more there. The the difference between fourth and fifteenth round is tremendous, though. So I understand if you want to take Ellie. I'm taking the Corbin Carroll side of things. Yeah, it's you know, I, I, at first glance, I thought, well, well, fifteenth rounder for sure. Why would I give up a fourth round? It's a like almost like a twenty dollar difference in value. But then I said, you know what? How good is Ellie Dela Cruz really? Exactly. Um, yeah, at, a, at ADP, if you really, you know, in terms of the ADP difference, oh, it's it's a no brainer. Ellie Dela Cruz, a second rounder versus Carol. But I, I don't have him valued there at all. I have him valued considerably less. Yep, um, I agree. Yeah, I, I think I would still take take Dela Cruz in the 15th because I think that the probability of Dela Cruz earning a 15th round return it's very is, good yeah is higher than I'm not going to say Carroll with a fourth round return but higher than Carroll with a second round return did that make sense that's fair that's fair yeah I mean Carroll I also worry with the shoulder yeah he's he done it one year I mean he Obviously, he's he's got a very unique profile with all those steals and and great base elsewhere, but the round difference is so drastic. I, I if if this was like fourth round versus tenth, I would go Carroll, but that's a huge huge difference. Yeah, uh, that's the, that's the thing is the round difference is tremendous, and that's what makes it much more challenging. That's why those keeper leagues are so tough for me. Yeah. Yeah, it is. It's a very good question. Thank it's you, Chris. It's a great question. There's a lot of good ones like that I've been getting from people in DMs that make you really have to think and do some 3D chess to it. Yeah, no, thank you, Chris. Uh, um, I thought it was easy at, at the first uh, at first uh, glance, but 
because Dela Cruz is just also very iffy. It makes yep. and Carol is so good theoretically, uh, yep. but good question. Uh, Yukon Jack asks. Extremely deep AL only keeper league. Does Akil Badu have any value for 2024? I have him currently on a very cheap salary. Does he play in an AL only keeper league? Oh man, I guess I need to know more of the stuff. Technically, yes, AL only, but he might not even start the year in the major leagues this year. So keep that in mind. But if you're talking like a dollar to keep Akil Badu in a deep AL only, he will get playing time sometime this year, so it's probably there's probably some value to that. Yeah, in in a deep AL only league, I mean he's a guy who can go ten ten, and yep. if he breaks with camp, probably will get playing time. That's got to be worth at least a dollar or the last spot. You know, if you have him a really cheap contract, got to ma- I got to imagine he plays in a very deep AL only. Like we're talking like what like a sixteen team AL only league. Have to yeah, imagine you, he's you keep a kill but do at that point for sure. Yeah, yeah. I mean, in a mixed league, forget it. He's not a bench spot or anything. I, I don't picture him even being looked at in the waiver wire. But, yeah, for AL only deep, yes. He, he, yep. should, he should be a starter, I think, uh, especially if you've got five outfield spots in yours. Good point. Well, that is the end of our show. A lot of great topics today, a lot of good strategy, a lot of good players. A lot of fun having you, Brian. We missed yep. Ruvain here, but uh, great filling in. Thank you. Well, I appreciate it. Thanks for having me. It was an honor to be on the Beat the Shift podcast with Mr. Ariel Cohen himself on ATC Day oh, of yeah. all days. So uh, thanks for having me. This is this is a lot of fun, my friend. My pleasure. And why don't you just tell the audience where we can read your stuff, where we can listen to you, all the great work that you do. I appreciate it. Just follow me on Twitter, X, whatever you call it, at BDNTrick. You'll get the Bench with Bubba podcast, Bubba in the Bloom, coming at you twice a week on Tuesdays and Thursday nights. Could still drop in Wednesday, Friday mornings for you. Um, and then I have my own sub stack. I write at Fantasy Pros and Baseball HQ and a lot of other stuff. So just check me out on the X and uh, we'll go. You'll, you'll get it tweeted out there for you. Amazing stuff. Once again, thank you so much to Brian Bubba Entrican for joining the Beat the Shift podcast presented by Fangraphs. I am Ariel Cohen. You can follow me on Twitter at ATCNY. You can also follow at ATC Projections for all the updates on ATC Projections. Follow us also, by the way, on the podcast here at beat underscore shift underscore pod. If you haven't already, it would really help us out if you gave us a five-star rating and review. We don't really ask that much on the show, but uh, on ATC Day, I feel giddy in asking. So please uh, (laughs) help us out and review the show. You can read my work over at Fangraphs over at Rotoballer. And ATC projections will be up on a bunch of sites. We're even going to add sites this week that I'll probably announce in the next episode. But it is right now up on Fangraphs. It is up on Rotoballer. Should be up on CBS Sportsline as we speak. Uh, RotoChamp, it is up there on if you want to use that drafting software. Uh, and uh, more to come next week. So very excited ATC Day. Once again, thank you so much to Brian Entrican for coming on the show, and from all of us here at Beat the Shift, we'll see you next time. Thanks for listening to the Beat the Shift podcast presented by Fangress. Follow us on Twitter at beat underscore shift underscore pod.